Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Back in the middle, all the kerfuffle. Let's pray and ask God's help as we seek to understand his word together. God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we lift our hearts to you again. So thankful for the many times you've touched us with your word and you've taught us and encouraged us and challenged us. Grant, oh God, that mercy again this morning. That according to our need and for our good, you would speak to us afresh through scripture and within the thoughts, the quiet thoughts of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now we're continuing our series on life in uh, a local church and what commitment to that church uh, means. We come today to the whole question of leadership in the church. And can I remind you of something that was said a few weeks ago? The nature of what we are as a company of God's people affects everything about us. It affects the way we are to relate to each other, it affects responsibilities within the church. And God has said that this church and other churches around the country and around the world are not a club. They're not a society. They're not merely a human organization. They are a body. And I want to see a body. Actually, sit up here. Now, do you see this little body? See? Look at the two. I don't know which of his parents you think he's more like. This is a living thing. He is not mechanical. He is not a computer. Although he has in here elements of a computer. Isn't that right? <laughs> He, he is not just a collection of molecules. This is a living body like a church. He needs protection. He needs training. He needs an example. Modeling. He needs all these things. He's doing pretty well already, isn't he? He needs all these things if he's going to grow up to be the kind of person that he should be. David, you are superb. Well done. Go back to your mum. He is a developing personality. A body. A living body. And uh, he can be hurt. He can grow up lazy. He needs all the help that his parents can give him. And in the same way, the Church of Jesus Christ needs leadership. But it's leadership... Uh, somewhat like parental leadership, giving example, giving food, giving care and protection. And at all the stages of, of growing up, until we reach maturity, Christian people benefit from the leaders that God has placed to help them. Maybe it is actually more, more helpful for us to think in terms of the church as a family. The New Testament speaks in those terms in Ephesians 2 where we are pictured as the household, the family of God. And God has 
a delegated responsibility in a human family to parents and uh, to many people within the church of Jesus Christ. Now, what can we say about leadership in the church that's modelled on the picture that you've already had of the family? Number one, leaders are sinners, just like parents. Not perfect. Two, they very often feel inadequate. Trace back through the scriptures and you see that many of the great leaders of biblical history were failures, felt inadequate. A man like Moses, who was so wary of getting back into spiritual responsibility, he'd run away once, he'd committed murder, and yet God called him. A man like Gideon was shy and timid, and God had to give him a tremendous amount of encouragement before he was prepared to take up leadership responsibility. A man like Isaiah, his first reaction when God began to speak to him, I am a man of unclean lips, how can I speak your word? A man like Jeremiah, I'm so young, don't call me. And I tell you this, the leaders of a church like this feel all those things themselves. They feel inadequate. All those different characteristics are there amongst them. Except murder, I suppose. Although, as Bob would, Bob would say, give us time. <laughs> Thirdly, leadership in a church, as in a family, is intended by God to be plural. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image. God is a team God. This is so, so important. Everything distinctively Christian in the world must have Trinitarian roots. There must be fellowship, harmony between more than one person, teamwork, shared responsibility. Friends, this is why in our prayer care groups, in the leadership of the women's fellowship, in the leadership of the youth clubs and so on, we insist upon teamwork. We won't have one person dominating any particular group because we are to reflect the very nature of God. The elders in the New Testament are always spoken of in the plural. You don't find them uh, the elder of one particular place somehow detached from everybody else. Again and again and again you find them spoken of in the plural. Paul writes to the elders of such and such a church and so on. Now think of the wisdom of God in this. In this insistence in scripture that leadership in family as in church is plural. Teams stimulate each other. There's a kind of lift up factor by being involved with other people. I'm uh, not doing very well. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You top me up. It, it works like that. Secondly, the church benefits from a, a variety of inputs. Just as a, a body needs different vitamins, so prayer care group leaders or elders and so on provide different kinds of input into the life of the whole fellowship. You know, you might get a very... Uh, Sunny care care group leader. You know, he's providing all the vitamin D in, in your sort of experience of spiritual things. You may get a real fruity elder. You know, vitamin C going in there. Uh, I suppose I'm chiefly 
I, I provide B2 and riboflavin, I guess. I don't know. And there is E numbers. I was looking uh, this morning at um, sugar frosties and uh, niacin, vitamin B6, riboflavin B2, there you are. Thiamine B1, folic acid, whatever that, that is, vitamin D, vitamin B12. Is it a balanced, healthy diet in your sugar frosties? I'm not sure about that. Anyhow, you get the point. We, we need a whole variety of, of inputs. If you meet someone and they've only ever lived on vitamin B6 or something, I don't know what that is quite, but um, probably comes from turnip skins or something, um, they will eventually be very odd people. <laughs> See the wisdom of God in, in a variety of inputs into our spiritual makeup. Also, within teamwork, there is accountability. The elders are answerable to each other. They are challengeable and encourageable, not incorrigible, encourageable, uh, one from another, and so on. Thirdly, I want to say, or is it fourthly, New Testament leadership is not doing all the work yourself, but Helping and equipping other people. Can I read you what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4? Two students in the front row have been well trained. They're looking up the passage. They get used to checking up on me. Ephesians 4 verse 11. It was he, this is the Lord Jesus, the risen ascended Lord Jesus Christ who gave to the church some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Do you get the picture? God has given different gifts. They all are to work together. The apostle, the prophet, and so on. They're kind of interlocking. These gifts, these ministries, are not uh, exclusive. It's, we can't say that one person has only one. They overlap and interlock. Rather like, I suppose, the, the rings in the, um, the Olympic Games symbol. You know how these, uh, these different things, you've got five rings that, that interlock. An apostle is someone who is sent, frequently traveling, and has a foundational ministry. And I think, too, one of checking other people's foundations. The prophet is learning to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. Often being greatly used to sort people out when they get themselves into tangles and messes as we do. The pastor cares for folk at all different kinds of level of their need. Physical, emotional, spiritual. And this, almost above any other of these gifts, 
is something that the elders of this church are praying will grow and increase among the congregation. Because in the growing church, we have to learn to care for each other. All of us. Then there's a teacher. Someone who explains the word of God clearly. So the people are helped to see God and see themselves. So that, as Paul says, you won't be tossed around, battered about, by every little wind and gust of doctrine that blows around the church. And then there are the evangelists. They too, can I say, in Paul's teaching, are chiefly there to help and encourage other people to do evangelism. We don't believe that we set aside merely one or two specialists and then say, bye-bye, God bless you, away you go. The evangelist's chief responsibility, according to Paul, is to train other people in doing evangelism. Now, all these interlock and, and overlap. This is team ministry. So, leadership in a church is plural. It's designed to help and coach and train others. Now, the commonest picture of leadership in, in the whole of the New Testament is that of the shepherd. I'd like to ask you now to turn, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 10. John, chapter 10. Jesus, the model. We have uh, many, many different kinds of leadership responsibilities, some of us in our families, some with the, uh, the women's meeting, the youth fellowship, the prayer care groups, and so on. The deacons have their own leadership responsibility. By the way, I read recently, I don't know whether you've heard it, Sunday school class, little boy was asked, Johnny, what is a deacon? And Johnny thought for a long time, and then finally he said, well, it's something that you put up on a hill, and then when trouble comes, you set fire to it. <laughs> Let's read John chapter 10. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And as he changes the metaphor, he's talked about himself as the gate. Now he says a second thing from his illustration. I am, we may add, also the good shepherd. The good shepherd 
lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life for the sheep. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Let's stop there. I want to mention briefly four characteristics of the Good Shepherd that we might see a model of spiritual leadership at whatever kind of level or in whatever way we are called upon to exercise it. Number one. Verse three, the second half. He calls his own sheep by name. The good leader knows his sheep, the people. It's amazing, isn't it, sometimes, when you look back over your life, how experiences that you have when uh, perhaps much younger, things that you go through or interests that you develop, are then years later woven into the pattern of your life. Now, when I was growing up as a teenager, I had an old um, uncle who was a, a sheep farmer up uh, in what was then Westmoreland. It's all become Cumbria now. And uh, when I was a, a teenager, I used to go as often as I possibly could to simply join him on the farm and live there and, and work there. And uh, he was a good shepherd. He was a good trainer of sheep dogs too. He represented Britain a few times with the sheep dogs. But I can remember walking with him on the hills around Oldswater. Hours we did it, simply watching the sheep. And he knew them. I would attempt to imitate his accent, but he would tell me things about certain old sheep that he would see from half a mile off. He'd spot some old yow and he'd uh, mutter under his breath about what it was up to and what it was training its own lambs to get up to. He knew them. Knew them very well. Simply by quiet observation. And that is the thing that Jesus highlights first. The good shepherd, the good leader, observes. And observes lovingly. Watches the flock and begins to get to know what makes people tick. What a word I believe that is to say prayer care group leaders. You don't simply run a Tuesday meeting for a couple of hours, but to be sensitively attuned to how the people are growing up in Christ. So that's the first thing. He knows his own. Secondly, here in verse 4, when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. He brings them out and he leads them. He goes on ahead. The good shepherd, the good leader, is to be an example in the things that matter, that are eternal. 
I remember years ago attending an OM conference, and there was a man there speaking, a great man of God called Ralph Shallis. Maybe you've come across some of his books. He wrote a, a very uh, popular book called From Now On, about growing up as a Christian. Ralph has gone years ago to be with the Lord, but I can remember one day uh, the squad of people who were trained to, well, they were sort of set aside to do the washing up that day. Various discussion groups. And you should have seen some of those poor men, you know. Students, they probably were, they. You know, they give them a dishcloth and they hardly knew what to do with them. And then, then piles of wet dishes and, and poor one chap was struggling away. And Ralph Shallis observed this. And the meetings were going on because we had to have the washing up going on during the meeting. So some people missed the meetings in order to get the washing up done. And, and Ralph, you know, the great preacher, came up alongside one poor struggling chap and said, give me that cloth. I'll do your washing up duty. You go in the meeting. You need the meeting more than you need this washing up. What an example of quiet, humble service. And then he got, you know, down to doing the dishes. I think there are three crucial areas where spiritual leadership needs to be seen. Within any company of, of the people of God, a student group, a, a prayer care group, whatever. Certainly in a church like this. Number one, courage in making tough decisions or in bringing the word of God to bear on a difficult situation. C.H. Spurgeon said these words, he who, he, he said it rather with a sort of dry wit, he said, he who hopes to preach so as to please everybody must be newly come into the ministry. And he who aims at such an object would do well speedily to leave its ranks. Courage in taking the word of God and saying, this is what it seems to us to say, and this is how we're going to apply it. Secondly, leadership and example in private prayer. For the flock. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than this. Mrs. Lloyd-Jones, who uh, some of you will know just died uh, last week, she said uh, so many years ago, when her husband was still alive, she said, no one will ever understand my husband until they realize that he is first of all a man of prayer and then an evangelist. Perhaps the greatest preacher in the English language uh, this century. And she said, he's first a man of prayer and secondly an evangelist. His heart used to go out to the lost. And then I think that leads on to the third area where we do need leadership and visible leadership I would look for people who have an evangelistic heart. We are not here in this church simply committed to making our own life together more comfortable. But to remember the greater majority who live outside, who never darken the door, never come under the sound of, of the gospel, who never hear those words of Christ ringing in their ears, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The heart of an evangelist. Not necessarily the gifting. But the heart of an evangelist should mark, I think, all those who are growing up into increasing forms of spiritual leadership. So, he knows his own. Firstly, he is an example. Secondly, and then thirdly, he ensures good feeding. Verse 9. 
Whoever enters through me will be saved, and he'll come in and go out and find pasture. The sheep go in and out through Christ and find pasture. Spiritual life flows from the word of God. It was uh, Peter in John 6, 68, who, who said, and we often sing it in one of our songs, you have the words of eternal life. It's your words, Lord Jesus, that actually bring life into our own souls. I think when the leaders of, of the prayer care groups get together, as they do, every three, three or four times a year, to compare notes, to uh, talk, to pray about issues that are coming up, I think they ought to spend time together in the study, not, not for a massive time, but when they meet, time in the Word of God. Maybe of interest to you to know that your elders do this every time they meet. Two or sometimes even three times a month. When we meet together, we spend sometimes an hour, the first hour, in reading and pondering the Word of God together. It bonds us. I tell you another thing, it actually shapes our praying for you. We want to pray for you to grow in the things that we see in the Word of God. It focuses our vision. I think the greatest threat sometimes to a church's life is actually the church's own ministry. Let me explain that. Sometimes we focus so often, so long on our activities, on the things that we do, on the responsibilities and duties that we have, all necessary good things, that actually our spiritual life can dry up. And Jesus is reminding people, reminding the twelve gathered around him, that uh, a good shepherd is one who attends to the feeding of the flock. One of those was Peter. And Peter eventually, and we're not going to refer to this passage uh, this morning, we've looked at that in, in the years gone by. In 1 Peter 5, he, he has a word of exhortation to the elders of the churches to whom he's writing. And he reminds those under-shepherds that one day they will have to uh, give back the flock of God to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. What sort of a scraggy, scrawny flock will be returned to the chief shepherd? If they've not been fed properly, they've not been brought back to the good pastures of Scripture, to the things of the Spirit of God. Those briars and thorns that get into the fleece so often need dealing with. And sometimes people will come alongside you and, and just give you a friendly, loving exhortation to change a little bit, to brace up a little bit, to do better in an area. So that when the flock finally is brought back to the chief shepherd, we may be a pleasure and a delight to him. Another thing that, that the leaders would have um, on their hearts, you know, I think sometimes when, when a woman has a baby, I may have said this before in the past, but it's been on my mind now for some months, it seems to me when a woman has a baby, very often the normal processes of her spiritual life come completely to an end. And it's not her fault. You know, you just hit a brick wall when your, your time and your energy and everything you have to give somehow goes into nurturing this little life. How will a shepherd make sure that the youngest of the lambs in a flock is going to grow in a healthy way? He will attend to the needs of the ewe. If the ewe, the mother sheep, is feeding well, then it will be able to feed from the lamb and get all that it needs. Fathers, husbands, with people caring for little lambs, 
Are you praying for them? Are you attending to their own spiritual needs? Because this is one of the best ways that we can ensure a family environment in which the, the youngest, right up through teens, will grow up if the family is being helped, so that the husband and the wife, the parents, to communicate, to love each other, to forgive each other, to relate right. You see, you're, you're feeding in to the parents what is actually going to create the sort of environment for the children. So the shepherd knows his flock intimately. He goes on ahead of them. He, he leads them forward in the ways of the Spirit. He puts number one priority on food supplies. And then finally, says the Lord Jesus, he will sacrifice himself in order that others might live. Look how often Jesus says that. And the good shepherd, verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. Sorry, 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 18. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Any kind of Christian leadership involves the sacrifice of time, the enduring of pressure, the battering of reputation, the stealing away of time. And Jesus says, I do it of my own accord. Do it willingly. Peter picks this up in 1 Peter 5. Leadership is to be exercised willingly. We all know, don't we, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. In John 13. <coughs> Took off his own robe put a towel around himself, went along a row of feet and rinsed them and cleaned them. Can you imagine it? Splashing water into a basin, dunking the foot in there, working your fingers through the toes, getting the grime out. I wonder, did those disciples, the next time they washed their own feet, think back to who had washed them the last time? The Lord Jesus himself, who in the meantime had been crucified on the cross. He really meant it. All this about service. Humbling yourself. Laying down your life for others. They would have looked down at their own feet. They were going to carry that visual aid with them for the rest of their lives. The Jesus who washed those feet loved them even unto the end and went to the cross for the cleansing not just of dust and grime of the Palestinian roads but of those things that get grimed into our nature. That he did. He really meant it. There's so much more to be said. You know, people have made a living out of writing books on leadership. I'm going to end since it's 12 by reading you two verses from Hebrews chapter 13. It just summarizes some of the things that I've tried to convey this morning. Hebrews 13, verse 7. And the writer of that letter, whoever it was, says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's the first verse. And the second in verse 17. 
obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. May the Lord give us understanding and grace together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for every person in our lives who has taught us the word of God. Who sat beside us when we've been down. Who lifted our hearts and set us walking again. Who has been the instrument in your hands of a fresh filling of, of the Spirit of God. Lord, you know the challenges that face us in the week ahead. You know how perhaps some here will see their own friends turn to you, the Good Shepherd, and they will then find themselves having to give a lead, having to lay down their lives for the young babe. Those of us here with children, those of us with responsibilities in music, ministry of one sort or another, Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray, grant that our lives reflect more of your good shepherding. That you be pleased with the flock as you see it grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.